This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 24 of World Cup 2018 is done. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about that as part of our podcast coming to you daily from Russia through July 15th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Rodolfo Landeros of Fox Sports. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from St. Petersburg. You're still alive, aren't you, man? I'm still alive. Um, I'm I'm just sitting here waiting for the semifinal. Um, and, uh, you know, watched, uh, watched the games today. And there was a, an enormous... Do you remember four years ago in Brazil when um, Brazil would play and they'd score and we'd hear, uh, like, explosions of some kind, right? Yeah. There'd be gunfire, fireworks, whatever. Here, it's just screaming. <laughs> it's just like... It's just like Friday the 13th, uh, Jason's coming for you, shrieking out of windows. Um, so, not sorry to see them go. <laughs> <laughs> because of the screaming or because of other Because of reasons? screaming. I don't like screaming. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, nobody thought Russia would get to the quarterfinals. They did. Um, they got to a penalty kick shootout against Croatia uh, after a wild extra time when both teams scored, including uh, a late Russia header in the second part of extra time. And eventually, uh, Ivan Rakitic does what he tends to do uh, as he finished against Denmark. He finished with the final kick against Russia in penalties and Croatia is through to a semifinal against England. Uh, the one you're going to see obviously out in St. Petersburg is France, Belgium. So we're down to four and, down to four. Uh, and I feel good about this group of four. I feel like not everyone might've expected it before the tournament, but that's why you play the tournament. It's been a fantastic, uh, surprising tournament at times here, this World Cup, and uh, really not much drama at all in England's game. But let's talk about the game tonight, uh, the one uh, between Croatia and Russia. And I was surprised that Russia attacked much more than they did against Spain, where they basically parked the bus and played for penalties. Uh, this Russia came out and came to play, and Chiryshev put him ahead with a really nice goal. Uh, the uh, Croatians came back just a few minutes later going the length of the field in just like 10 seconds uh, for a really nice equalizer uh, and then two more goals in extra time uh, before the penalties and I feel like history should remark that the Russians played much better than expectations in this tournament though I'm curious to see how Russians view it well Croatia is the first country uh, do you remember the last time a team won two straight penalty shootouts in a World Cup? No. Goiko Chea. Oh, it's been that long. 1990. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the penalties tend to even out if you go back-to-back. -back, but obviously, someone was going to lose tonight. Um, I, I think I agree. I think Russia certainly showed better. I think some of that had to do with uh, Croatia being more direct, right, and mm -hmm. having Mandzukic doing so much work up top. 
Um, we, you know, Costa was was static uh, for Spain, and and so Spain being content to just pass it sideline to sideline till we all beg for mercy. Um, you know, Russia was just happy to kind of stand around. Um, tonight, the, the the game called for more energy, and Russians don't lack energy, so uh, <laughs> I think we had the game uh, that we had. Um, obviously, Modric's effort. Modric, how do you? What's the possessive? Oh man, I'm I'm tongue-tied again. Modric's. Modric's. Modric. Modric. Oh, anyway, that guy. Um, just uh, his his effort and his engagement and his ability to find the game find the ball, find ways to help his team, find ways to connect, find ways to be influential for 120 minutes. Uh, remarkable. I mean, he's, he's just a, he's a, he's a skinny beast. And, um, you know, he, he's right now a uh, golden ball, top three candidate for sure. Um, depending on how, obviously how the semis pan out. And then, um, uh, the goalkeeper, um, whose name is escaping me right Subasic? now. Subasic. Thank you. Uh, you know, does his hamstring, uh, near the end of, of of normal time, you think, oh well, he'll definitely, you know, maybe they'll use the fourth, you know, the new extra sub. They don't, um, and he he stands in there and and saves a penalty. So um, just heroic performances, and and you know, they, I like the matchup. I like I I think, you know, for all the talk we've had about upsets and pedigree and shenanigans and nonsense and shithousery and everything, these four teams that are still here, you, there, there's nothing to say about whether or not they deserve it. So I'm, I'm fine with this Final Four. Um, if no one has trademarked that phrase, um, FIFA, <laughs> should, FIFA should do that because the alliteration is really quite, quite pleasant. Um, like T-shirt. Imagine like a T-shirt. It's Final Three Lions, Final Four. You know, like the three and the four and marketing. Um, so, yeah, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I, I guess a couple things I would say. One, I think Modric is actually – I could say Modric, Modric. I could probably – get consistent on that i think modric is the best player of the tournament so far he would be my choice for golden ball um and yet that could change um in the next two games which are the ones we're going to probably end up remembering the most definitely um i would also say that i'm sort of i feel these feelings of conflict in me about russia and this tournament and their team's performance and the reception they've gotten from their fans and having gotten to meet and know ordinary russians Um, you know, like it's part of me is, is, is actually kind of sad for, for the Russians. I thought their team, um, obviously did better than anyone expected. Um, they really did galvanize a country here and fans here have a right to be proud of their team. And I, I enjoyed observing how the home team did well and responded to that. Um, I can't divorce that from state-sponsored doping in other sports and potentially in soccer. I can't divorce that from Johnny Infantino saying to Vladimir Putin that the world now looks at your country differently because I look at people who are ordinary Russians potentially slightly differently, but I don't look at Vladimir Putin any differently. Does that make sense? Of course, yeah. I, I I have a lot of the same feelings, and I feel like this is a this is a, a a perfect happy medium of a time to usher them out. <laughs> You've had a wonderful run. You did so much better than everybody expected. You scored some banger goals. I mean, they, they, the R- Russia's got a highlight reel to last people here for a very long time, including Cherishev's 
uh, curler today. They've, they've scored five or six just just jaw droppers this tournament, and and now it's time to go. Thank you for coming. Um, so I think this is perfect. The, the rush has been a good host. Um, the, the fans have been have been fun and enthusiastic. Um, but I I think I would have felt a little little like I had bugs on me if, if they <laughs> if they went any further. So perfect perfect happy medium. I think it was interesting tonight that the goals were scored. Uh, by a, a, a guy raised in Spain and a Brazilian defender um, who, who was just naturalized uh, after signing for Tzeska and, and, and living here for his five years. Um, so, you know, they're, I don't know if the soccer, you know, it'll be interesting if someone like Golovin gets a, get, gets a big money deal and how he does, um, or a big club deal and how he, he does um, in, in a more competitive league with, you know, more scrutiny on him. Um, but, uh, yeah, fun soccer, fun team. Um, you know, the, the Spain being at the Spain Russia game is something I'll never forget the atmosphere, the noise, watching them hold out under siege for 120 minutes. It was memorable stuff. Goodbye. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could also, you could also carry this over to Sweden and I'll say this like five or six times. I respect Sweden. I respect Sweden. I respect Sweden. I respect Sweden. Okay. But I was sitting watching the game against England with somebody today, and they said when it was over, basically, good riddance, Sweden. And The only thing I'll remember about Sweden from this tournament is Tony Cruz. Oh, wow. That's harsh. Oh, um, sorry. But, like, the fact of the matter is they are – Sweden was very organized. They took Mexico apart. They – uh, beat Switzerland in something that was a bit of a surprise to me, but they were the better team in that game. And yet, uh, you know, and, and if this was like going out as a tweet, then you'd have, I would have millions of non-Americans coming after me because I'm American saying this, but this wasn't a very exciting Sweden team. Uh, yeah, no, they didn't. I mean, yes, they beat Mexico, but I think Mexico was equally their own worst enemy in that game. And it just wasn't, you know, and I and when I say memorable, I mean literally memorable. Like ten years from now, if you say Sweden at the 2018 World Cup, I'm going to remember the Tony Cruz shot. You know, I, I just don't think there's anything else that they really did. Um, I respect them, or they're a, they're they're a team that that was greater than the sum of its parts, and yeah. they made the World Cup quarterfinals, and that's a, that's an achievement. But I'm not there. There was nothing memorable. There there are other teams in this tournament, including several that went out a week ago or more, uh, that are going to be more memorable to me than Sweden. Yeah, and I, and I say that knowing that Sweden kept the Netherlands from being here and kept Italy from being yep. here. And I've even run into some people who say that the U.S. should adopt this style that Sweden adopted for this tournament and got to the quarterfinals with. And what I would say to that is I think maybe elements of it, because you, you can certainly play different styles in different situations and organizationally and how they work together as a team i think there are things to emulate i just i just don't think that should be sort of your guiding vision yeah i don't it doesn't inspire me that much yeah um what do you think about england they were really good today yeah they were good i mean yeah i mean it's 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 just remarkable and and um you know there was a i watched it i watched that game in a in a little restaurant um down the uh down the street from my uh my haunted hotel and um there was a really really large like very russian guy in there wearing an england shirt that barely covered his multiple bellies huh. and he was just screaming and with with like 
just guttural passion for England. And I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't ask him why. But I was just intrigued by the fact that he was so fired up for, for the three lines. Are you sure also, it, Are yeah. you sure it wasn't Paul Gascoigne's old buddy Jimmy Five Bellies, but like <laughs> in Russia? No. Yeah, no, no. Maybe his kid. Um, the other thing is this. The other thing is so, so yesterday I went for a little walk in the rain. And I passed a little um, like a little World Cup gift shop, you know, like a pop-up world. They've got them all over here, right? The little pop-up World Cup gift shop where they, you know, sell uh, – sell that dog you know <laughs> Zabivaka. and so i walked in just i don't know just check it out because i like you know maybe i wanted to pretend i had a loved one to buy something for you know just whatever <laughs> see what they have and and they were playing they were so this is like this is like a, an official world cup thing right and they were playing three lions huh. in in the shop and, and there's, there's just been so much talk. And, of course, they've played it in the stadiums. I mean, they're the only team. I've been to 10 or 11 games now, and I've seen a lot of teams score a lot of goals. And I don't think any team has their own theme song piped in via official channels besides England. Huh. And I just find this remarkable because there's, you know, there's some, some notable tension between England and Russia. And there are not a lot of England fans here. You know, Columbia fans outnumbered them 7-8-1 to one the other night when I went to that game. And yet you hear this song everywhere. And they're the only team to have that kind of soundtrack accompanying them through the tournament. And it's just kind of wacky and cool. Can you help me out with something here? Because everyone here th- seems to think that everyone from around the world knows what this is about, this whole it's coming home thing with England. What the heck does that mean? Um, it, was the song, it was the theme song for Euro 96. Oh. So they, when they hosted Euro 96... Uh, a couple of, uh, it was like a, a musician and a couple comedians actually wrote this catchy jingle about how we always fail, but we always dream. And, you know, Jules Remay still gleaming is one of the lines. And they, they've always got, they've always got hope despite their failures and football's coming home. And so, of course, it, it was around Euro 96 um, when they lost to Germany on penalties. Yeah. And, uh, and it's sort of been this kind of haunting, ironic refrain ever since. Um, and now it's just taken over the World Cup. I mean, it's 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 like the waka waka of this World Cup. Like it's just you hear it all the time, and to hear it like in the World Cup gift shop in St. Petersburg just kind of blew my mind. And why was I've seen this um, this clip from a Friends episode where the monkey that it, Ross has plays "It's Coming Home" this song? What the heck is that story? I forget all about that. That I cannot tell you. I was, I'm, you know, here, you, you want, you want hate mail? I never really liked the show Friends. Oh, man. Yeah. I just didn't think it was that funny. Um, so just kind of like cringy laugh track. I, I, I never really watched it. So, my, um, my goal early I'm, on in the I'm tournament. A, I'm, a, I'm a strikeout on that one. My goal early in the tournament was when Aaron Crespo was working with us on Fox that uh, he looks so much like an older Joey Tribbiani, Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> that I wanted to get him on video saying, how are you doing? You know, like Joey Tribbiani used to. Um, we didn't quite get to that point of familiarity, unfortunately. I mean, well, I mean, after the tournament, we got to track him down. That sounds like it's worth the effort. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, four, four European teams in. Um, uh, not, not, only, not only teams like France that, have, that, are, that were World Cup favorites, but, but teams that you would have considered second-tier European, you know, you, you would have considered... England and Croatia teams that maybe they make a run to the quarters. Um, you know they're good, but on their day, but they're not at the level of you know Germany, Spain, and France. Um, 
and uh, you know they're in. They're in. One of them's going to the final. Um, you know, Belgium, it's a team that that has never really risen to the to the to the big stage, um, deservedly beats Brazil. Um, this is this is the this is a, another European World Cup. It is, uh, and you know, I'm excited about the semifinals um, and the final. Obviously, we're getting into the home stretch here, and. Uh, I did want to get one update from you since you lost your credit card. Are you like carrying around a suitcase full of cash now, or how are you? How are you doing this? No, I I um I have the opposite problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to work that out. I'm gonna have to um apparently Russia apparently you know there's like an maybe I can explore the underworld a little bit. <laughs> um, you know maybe maybe that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, find ways to. Uh, to uh, you know, acquire goods and services over the next um, ten days or ten days to life, however long I'm going to be spending here. Um, no, you know, it, this is this is part of the. You're you know, you're in a foreign country for five weeks, and um, you know, shit's going to go upside down now and then. So, I will. Uh, I lose stuff a lot, and I will um, figure it out, or I won't. I can always count on you to not have us go an entire episode without a four-letter word. So, thanks, man. Yep. Let's do this again tomorrow. All right, talk to you then. Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Rodolfo Landeros. Let's bring in our interview guest for the day. It is Rodolfo Landeros of Fox Sports, who is a prime example of something I love about the World Cup. Uh, Someone I didn't really know before who I've been working with for Fox Sports and have really enjoyed not just working with, but getting to know. Rodolfo, thanks for joining me. No, Grant, thank, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. And as you said, it is a real pleasure to, to be in the World Cup and to getting to know you as well. I've loved your work. And uh, now we're uh, partnering on, on the coverage. Yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, and you've done terrific work uh, covering mostly Mexico. And then once Mexico went out, you were doing Brazil, Belgium, uh, lots to talk about here, so uh, let's dive into Mexico first. Sure, let's do it. Um, what sort of, by being on the ground with Mexico the entire tournament and then seeing them beat Germany, lose to Sweden, go out against Brazil, once again, seventh straight time uh, in the round of 16, um, what are your big takeaway thoughts about Mexico at this point? I think uh, there's always a thing with Mexico in the World Cup, and uh, it goes, um, I think, maybe on the on the process of World Cups. Uh, speaking of the head coach, if there's the same result, fans, press, everybody's begging to cut off the coach's head immediately. <laughs> and what I think about is you've done basically that every single time why not give the guy a shot of another four years to go Mm -hmm. a full process to work with with guys who are coming along like Chucky Lozano uh some other guys like Diego Lainez from America 16 years old and the, the, the guy's a beast and um I think uh like every four years there's always I I can relate to England that like that song says, uh, three lines on a shirt, like they're going to do trash. They're not going to do anything at all. But as soon as the tournament starts, it's a whole another uh, illusion mm-hmm. that fans begin to uh, to hope. And as soon as Mexico beat Germany, which was uh, historic, I, I 
uh, and they played really good. They and deserved they, it. They made Germany uh, uh, look bad. Mm -hmm. Everybody was thinking Mexico can be world champion, but it, it is a long tournament, short, short, long tournament. Mm -hmm. There are seven matches, and you have to take it step by step. And I think the expectations went from zero to two thousand in ninety minutes. So um, there's a lot to reflect on. So the next step I would be most curious about is will Juan Carlos Osorio stay on as the coach? And where are we now? We're recording this on July 7th. Uh, this will come out July 7th in the evening. Um, where are we now on that possibility? Well, after uh, the game against Brazil ended, I, I had a chance to speak with the uh, general secretary of the Mexican Federation, Guillermo Cantu, and I asked him what is the plan with Osorio. And he said, we have to take a few days off. Uh, we're going to get together. We're going we're to chat. And after that, I spoke to uh, to Juan Carlos, and he basically said the same thing. But I tried to push him to 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 to, to see what he wanted because I think it has been a, a tough journey for him in yeah. Mexico, um, having a lot of bad press, and he's had one of the highest. Uh, averages in the history of the Mexican team and just people stick with that 7-0 against Chile the 4-1 in Confederations Cup the the picture has changed it but uh Juan Carlos said and something that I think could determine the outcome he said if the players still have credibility on me I would love to stay mm. and speaking with the players they love Juan Carlos mm. even if it means going to the bench like Chicharito because mm -hmm. sometimes he won't start. They 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 believe in the process. They believe in his work. I've seen uh, not a lot of people that work like Juan Carlos does. He's uh, like Layun says. He's a genius. So I think this is going to be very interesting days. There's a change of precedent in the federation. John De Luis is coming up, mm -hmm. but I think the decision might be. Um, might be determined by what Juan Carlos wants because hmm. from what I hear, John de Luisa is going to respect Guillermo Cantu's decision mm -hmm. and Guillermo supports Juan Carlos. So I think it's basically Osorio's, hmm. um, I think the ball's in his court. It's interesting for him because I, I think the U.S. is a possibility as well Yes, for him. Um, I know it will be excellent for him and, and for the U.S. Yeah. Um, Colombia might be a possibility. He's from Colombia. Yeah. We haven't heard yet about Jose Peckerman's future uh, with Colombia. I know Juan Carlos has also been interested in a, like a Premier League job yeah. over the years. I don't think personally that Mexico did enough in this tournament for him to vault to the top of the choice list, the preference list for Premier League clubs. Is that a fair assessment? It could be because, I mean, when you get to see guys like Roberto Martinez, who definitely, uh, I don't think, shocked the world because I think Belgium was sort of a dark horse four years ago and mm -hmm. now it has evolved. It has shown maturity and with great football. Uh, I think there are a lot of coaches that, are maybe on the top of the list and after that will come Juan Carlos Osorio so I think maybe the U.S. Uh, work maybe Colombia it depends as you said with with Peckerman's uh, decision um, I think those three options could be very good for Juan Carlos 
but he still keeps his dream alive to to coach in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk also about Brazil, Belgium, because you were at this game covering it for Fox Sports last night. Just a memorable World Cup game. And, and from early on in that game, you got the sense, oh, man, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Like, from your perspective, so close to it, what were you seeing? Um, first of all, I was wondering, what jersey is Brazil wearing? Is it the red one? Because <laughs> Belgium was on the top. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of players that, that really sparked in the pitch, like Lukaku playing with and without the ball. Uh, guys like Eden Hazard with so much quality. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, we've seen him on the Premier League. He's he's one of the best midfielders out there. And Courtois was... Uh, I talked to a friend who's very close to Thibaut Courtois before the game, and he said, I've never, uh, I've never heard him uh, as focused as he is for this match. And it was, I think, the first half was amazing by Belgium. Brazil started to attack. It was like very bad luck for Fernandinho with the own goal. Right. And then he kept missing. You you kind of uh, missed uh, Casemiro's presence out yeah. there. And uh, But Brazil wanted to, to, to tie. And I think it was a time for Neymar to show up, and he didn't. And everybody, even the Brazilians, uh, started... Um, criticizing Neymar get, really? get up uh, like uh, stop rolling around it's time to play and and I think that was the game for Neymar and and he just didn't he just didn't get it and you could see him after the the game ended in the mix zone mm -hmm. his head was uh facing down yeah. he didn't speak to any of the press in the mix zone mm. and as a leader I think you have to to have to show and in, in, in the good times and the bad times, what you're capable of, even just speaking a few words. But yeah. I think Neymar did let me down in this tournament. He did, in a way. He had a sort of, um, there's so many sides to Neymar's tournament, I think, yeah. because there certainly were lots of pressure. There certainly were moments of extreme quality, including the goal yes. he scored against Mexico. Wow. Not just the finish, but the whole setup from the back heel to William to running around the Mexican defenders to finishing yeah, off William's yeah. pass. Um, but so much play acting as well. And then there was this sort of surreal moment during the game against Belgium where Neymar is in the box tries to draw a penalty against Fellaini, falls down, and there's this moment where you're like, where the referee sh signals that he's going to go to VAR. And you're like, okay, I'm watching this game. I'm waiting for the ref to go over to the sideline and look at it. And then Neymar, instead of being, yeah, go check the VAR, actually says, no, let's Don't start as quickly as possible <laughs> because I think he realized that it would show that he had simulated... And if the ref had seen it right in the first place, he would have given him a yellow card, Neymar, and he would have been suspended for the next game. And and I think that's that has to be a very important thing for uh, the the disciplinary committee of FIFA. I mean, the Swiss television, if I'm not mistaken, made a 14 minute count that Neymar yeah. was rolling around in the in the pitch in in the whole World Cup. I think there has to be. I mean, theatrics have been all around football. It's not new. It's not new, and, and it will not stop. But there has to be, like, something that can um, make the game more fair play, if, if mm. you will. But 
uh, I think Neymar is one of the top performers, one of the best players in the world. But I think uh, this was, I insist, this was his game and he 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 was a shadow. Yeah, I mean, that moment where Courtois made the save on Neymar really late in stoppage time, I think, was the moment where it's not that it was a bad shot by Neymar. No. It was just an amazing save by Courtois. Yeah. You know? Um, and Courtois was amazing. I mean, except that goal, um, I think it was his top performance ever on the Belgian team. And in the past, when Belgium has underperformed in major tournaments, and I'm thinking back to Euro 2016 in particular, Courtois has been the player who gets publicly frustrated the most. And like he called out their coach, Mark Wilmots, yeah. who in truth didn't come close to maximizing Belgium's <laughs> talent, which is now even more obvious when you see what Belgium has been doing here. But Courtois is a guy who can go either way. And if things aren't going well, then he you can see it publicly, more so than the other Belgian players. But when things do go well, I was happy for him last night because after the game, you could see how much it meant to him to finally see this Belgian team not just be about potential, but about doing something big at a big tournament. Yeah, like uh, Chicharito said a quote, imagine amazing stuff and yeah. you, have to, you have to make it happen. And I think Courtois... Uh, has matured enough. It wasn't a good season. It wasn't. It was a tough season for him at, uh, at Chelsea, uh, especially in the Champions League. And it was, I think, as you said, very, very important to him. And and now you had that extra factor in the game against France with Thierry Henry by Roberto Martinez. Yeah. Side. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Um, one thing I like to do when I have someone on the podcast who has not been on the podcast before is uh, ask you a little bit about your sort of career path. And I'm very curious, what is your story as, as a journalist? Well, first of all, I was studying, uh, I was uh, majoring in communication studies back in Mexico City at uh, Universidad Anahuac. I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. So uh, <laughs> communications kind of fitted because it had different paths, uh, television, journalism, radio, uh, cinema. And we, I was uh, in 2008, doing an exchange in in madrid mm -hmm. and i'm uh i'm a diehard real madrid fan i think mm -hmm. most of the people that follow me knows that mm -hmm. but um i was by i don't know destiny uh, I, i ended up at real madrid's party after they won la liga the 31th mm -hmm. the 31st sorry and um and i was thinking how incredible must it be to be close to to football stars to to travel all around the world get to know different cultures different styles of football getting to know coaches their ideas and 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 it hit me and i wanted to combine two of my biggest passions that are uh filmmaking and and sports uh, more specifically uh, football so i wanted to start to tell stories and, and and I thought why not journalism why not sports journalism mm -hmm. and I knocked doors on uh, Televisa Deportes they gave me a break I had uh, like a tryout for six months they said you're hired hmm. and it was like um, wow I'm uh, I'm in Televisa I'm uh, 
with Antonio de Valdez, uh, so many great um, uh, play-by-play announcers like Enrique Bermúdez, uh, Jorge Pietrasanta, Paco Villa. It was like really unbelievable. Someone pinch me, please. <laughs> and I started to learn a lot about them and I, I matured. You never stop learning in right. journalism. And and after that, I got the opportunity from Univision Deportes um, to be the embedded reporter with the Mexican national team. And Televisa Deportes kind of like proposed to, you, to Univision. Um, this is Rodolfo Landeros. Uh, I think... Televisa wanted to do like a part-time that only covered Mexican team with Univision. Mm-hmm. And and I said, I think this is a opportunity of a lifetime. I think as a journalist yeah. covering the, the, the Mexican team in Mexico is uh, one of the highest things you can get. And with the confederations coming in 2013, the World Cup in Brazil also, it, it was... Uh, a huge opportunity and that's when uh, I joined Univision mm-hmm. and I started to do some other thing I mean it's not only football I've covered MMA I've covered boxing I've covered uh, even sailing man oh wow <laughs> so a little bit of everything and I've learned a lot and um, and last year it was um, a huge opportunity uh, Fox I mean it's like when when a giant comes and Come join Real Madrid. <laughs> How can you say no, right? And and I'm I'm blown away. I'm blown away. I'm uh, I think covering the Russia World Cup in English, mm-hmm. a language that is is not um, it's not complicated for me, but it's not my first language. Right. It was uh, an interesting challenge, but I think it's the most um, amazing experience in my mm. career. I mean, I've done some work in Spanish uh, for Univision, and it is not easy to to do actual work on the air, on television, in a language that is not your first language. How long have you been doing work in English on television, and what is that like for you? Well, the first, uh, the first gig I did in English was... Last year in Unidos por los Nuestros, there was, uh, you remember where Univision, ESPN, uh, Fox, uh, Bean Sports, uh, Azteca America joined for, um, uh, to to get together some funds for the all the ca- catastrophic yeah, events. Yeah, that was a really cool and, project. Uh, my boss back then told, uh, spoke to everyone and who wants to do it in English? And I, I raised my hand. I mm-hmm. said, why not? And I've I haven't done anything in English, so uh, it's one of those opportunities of a lifetime yeah. that you want to do it. And I got a chance to host uh, two shows over there, and it was interesting. I had a, a few slips, like I do in there. Spanish. <laughs> and, you know, people are actually pretty cool about yeah, it, though. Yeah. Like every, people are much more positive in response to when I speak in Spanish on television than when I speak in English on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they try to understand. They try to, <laughs> I think, they, I hope they try to put, uh, to walk a mile in your shoes. Yeah. But it's, it's really interesting. And after that, uh, when I joined Fox, I started to do the, um, the sidelines reporting for the Mexico friendly games. Right. And after that, it was the World Cup. So it was like, I, I was 
reading a lot of books. I've always read a lot in English. I listen to podcasts, yours included, Lexi's. Nice, um, nice. And it's uh, just focusing on, on sideline reporting a lot in the broadcasts. So to get like a clear picture of what, because it's very different like uh, in Mexico, a sideline reporter's job than it is in, in, in the U.S. So I wanted to... In what way? Uh, for example, you have an open mic always in in this. Yes. In, in, in sidelines reporting in Mexico. So you can uh, even, they can send you like any single minute and you have to be like on your toes every single time or you can interrupt the broadcast to, if you see a certain detail. And in the U.S. it's kind of different because right. it's more structured And um, it's interesting to do it both ways. I actually enjoy it to be like with an open mic uh, mm -hmm. it's in the heat of the moment. There's the a adrenaline lot of gets going. Yeah, and I love that rush. And um, and in the World Cup, it was uh, inside stuff. It was mm -hmm. reporting. It was uh, journalism that I, I I feel proud of. Mm -hmm. And um, and. I, I got a confession to make. My first time that I did a report, I used a teleprompter in my iPad. But I said, no, this is not the way to do it. And and the next day I said, screw it. Let's do it. Like, I want to talk. I want to yeah. speak. I want to yeah. not, not do it like really, really uh, structured reading. I, I think it doesn't... Uh, Uh, penetrate to the audience. You had to tell yeah. them a story. So I, I I started practicing a lot in my head and just uh, nice. practice on the delivery as well. I mean, thanks for sharing that. I, I will make a confession as well. And this is in my first language in English. <laughs> my first tournament with Fox was Euro 2012. And they sort of, I never did broadcasting prep or like journalism school or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And so like suddenly they were putting me up and saying like talk for two or three minutes after a game outside a stadium at year 2012 and like i got the app for my ipad after <laughs> like pretty early on and yeah, i was yeah. like i can't just stand up and talk for three minutes when you <laughs> you kidding me it's a lot and that was my first language and yeah. but i did it and it just didn't work right like for one The, it, I wasn't looking directly into the camera, so it looked like I was looking at yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. And, like you were reading just yeah, a little two, bit down. And two, it just didn't, it was too formal, you know? And it just takes reps, you know? I just, and now, like every night for Sports Illustrated, I go up and do basically a three-minute video essay where there's no prompter, there's no yeah. script, I didn't write anything I've out, but it. this is just what I'm thinking, And you just, if you do it enough, you get comfortable. Yeah, and that's what happened to me. I, I started practicing a lot more mm -hmm. and I felt more secure of what I, I was mm -hmm. saying and just telling the audience the story. That's, that's what they want to hear. They, they don't want to read the newspaper on TV, you know, uh, with all due respect to the to, to newspaper. Uh, but I want to, to transmit passion. Mm -hmm. I want to deliver like in those 45 seconds or a minute something that they can get hooked yeah and from where i started on day one with the prompter to now i think uh it has been a huge evolution i still got a lot of work to do but i'm up for the challenge i i've been loving it i think it's really cool to because there is a very sizable spanish-speaking soccer audience in the united states 
There is also an English language soccer audience in the United States that is pretty big and growing. And yet there still seems to be a bit of a separation, but more and more we're starting finally to see people in media who are bridging both audiences. Yes. And to me, when I've had that opportunity to, to speak to a Spanish speaking audience, in addition to the English language audience, it's really gratifying. You feel like you're actually, you're speaking to America as a whole. I don't want to like oversell it, yeah. but I mean, like, I just think that it's I like agree. a really cool feeling to like actually connect with the entirety of the soccer audience in the United States. I agree. And, and I love that there are more and more uh, journalists that are making that crossover. Um, I'm thinking Alejandro Berry, Ramses Sandoval, yeah. Jorge Perez Navarro, Mariano Trujillo, which I love his work. And the other way around, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard Landon Donovan yeah. uh, very good. Uh, Stuart Holden. Uh, Does he have Spanish? Well, he, we did a show in Fox Deportes that yeah. uh, we were talking about the World Cup, but it started to be a, a little bit of Spanglish. Yeah. And we said, why not? Let's nice. do it. Like, because in, in the U.S., most of uh, our audience in, in, in Fox Deportes are bilingual. So we said... That let's try something fresh, something huh. just out of the blue, and it came out perfect. And li like yourself, uh, to make that crossover in Spanish, it, it's very interesting and and gratifying. I think that's the word. And I think it's cool too. You mentioned Jorge Perez Navarro and Mariano Trujillo uh, doing Fox Sports games during this World Cup, and they were doing them in English, obviously. And the style was very cool because I think it's really important for typically over the years, over the decades, it's been a very British influence on uh, U.S. English language soccer broadcasts. And there's so many good British commentators out there that I, I have a lot of respect for them. I agree. But I don't think there's been enough of the sort of Latino style of broadcasting a game in English. And we really saw that with Jorge yeah. and Mariano in this tournament, especially. And in that style, is has a lot of value and is just as valuable as some other sort of style in English. I think on American TV, it is. It's it's a totally different style. I, I'm used to that style. I mean, I worked with Jorge from Univision. I I started working with Mariano and Fox Deportes, and uh, th these guys are are amazing. And to get that that um, that Latin style in English, I think it's uh it's nothing short of easy. I think it's very complex, and yeah. I think they they pull it off perfect. And uh, and I think people liked it a lot. So I think it, I mean it's styles. Uh, it, I think uh, people uh, might remember the Mamita Querida. <laughs> it's soccer time. It, it, it pumps me up. Yeah. When I'm part of a broadcast with them, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's, this is a, a nice crossover. Yeah, no, it's cool. So what, do, what comes next for you after this World Cup? Well, um, first of all, um, uh, I think, I'm flying in a couple of hours, <laughs> uh, but now it's it's prep time again uh, in Fox Deportes. Uh, Liga MX returns. Uh, we're gonna be doing a play-by-play by, -play by uh, 
of Cholos, of Tijuana, Rayados of Monterrey, um, Thursday Night Football. I'm doing nice. commentate, commentating on Spanish, and uh, I'm trying to do extra projects. I'm yeah. trying uh, to start uh, my my book. I'm, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what are the details? Well, uh, a little bit about my life. Yeah, interviews. A little bit of everything, nice. but I don't think it's gonna be ready for a few more years because I think uh, there's a lot of uh, road to go on. Yeah. But I wanted to to start right now. Uh, I think uh, like two months ago I got some inspiration. Yeah, I haven't started, <laughs> but I have some ideas, and it's exciting. I want to share my experience to to the people who want to get into journalism. Yeah. And because I've, I, I, a lot of people in social media have always asked me, um, what type of advice can you give? And it's never enough. So yeah. I want to, to share my experience, my, my ups and downs, because everybody has their ups and downs. And I'm not very shy to share. I'm not afraid to share yeah. uh, all the details. So that's, that's going to be interesting. Well, good luck with it. It's, Thank you very uh, much. writing books is a very rewarding thing to do not easy but uh well you could tell me <laughs> <laughs> but it has been an absolute pleasure working with you uh during this tournament rodolfo landeros thank you so much for joining me thank you grant and uh, cheers to everybody in your podcast audience thanks for listening to the planet football world cup daily podcast i'd like to thank brian strauss and rodolfo landeros as well as everyone at cadence 13 and sports illustrated who supports this podcast Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.